TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into today's edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, live on the IBX Media app. If you've got a question, a comment, a concern, let us know. We'll get to it. We'll answer it live on today's program. It is a Wednesday of game week. We got ECU's home opener coming up this Saturday, 4 o'clock kickoff on ESPNU. Uh, Pirates, of course, excited about being back at home. We'll get into that discussion, how much of a difference that can make, especially with a young and inexperienced team. Philip Pilkington is behind the glass today. He's producing. We're going to get Bobby Harward, Hoist the Colors analyst, on here shortly in our next segment. Uh, But we were out at Mike Houston's press conference, weekly press conference, on Tuesday, and we we learned some things as we bring Philip in to start the show and uh, you know, some unfortunate news with an injury to Kerry King. Some, I would say some some positive news as well, just as Coach Houston reviewed the film from the game and his coaching staff. Of course, they've moved on to Marshall. We uh, continue to talk about Michigan, and we'll talk about a lot about why the Marshall game is so key to ECU's season later today with Bobby. But, Philip, any big takeaways for you coming out of yesterday's press availability? And, of course, we talked to – some of the uh, the players as well, Dustin Hall, Taylor Jackson, and also uh, Marlon Gunn Jr., the running back. So uh, I know I know the guys are, are ready to be back home, but anything stand out to you from yesterday's press uh, press availability? Mine really had to do with our conversation with Dustin Hall and just how he talked about how when he first showed up here on campus, you know, this is one of those teams you almost kind of have to earn their respect, which that's a good thing. That shows how well-rounded this team is and, you know, how much faith – the coaching staff has and all their current players and the guys who've been in the program and how much faith they have in each other, but how Dustin feels like he has been able to earn that respect, move into that leadership role, because you need that out of a center. Because at the end of the day, the center is the quarterback of the offensive line, and that center quarterback relationship is so vital in the sport of football. And uh, so to hear that he's in that position, both on the field and uh, you know mentally, verbally, in the locker room is I think is a huge thing for for this offensive line and for this offense and it helps that you know he's been a player before that he started a lot of games at South Florida you know this is not a guy who's only played unmeaningful snaps late in football games so I think this is very vital for this offense yeah I was impressed and I talked to Dustin shortly after he committed to East Carolina back in the summer he went to Duke for a semester interestingly enough and uh, you know, it was a, s- a scenario where he, he transferred from South Florida. He had the familiarity with Alan Mogridge, the new offensive line coach at ECU. He told me he kind of got caught up in the allure of Power 5 football and wanted to give it a shot. He went through spring practice at Duke, didn't really like it, came to ECU, and now he's your starting center and, and sounds like a leader up front. But I, you could just tell he carries himself the right way. He fits the ECU mentality. Uh, and, and I thought Marlon Gunn had one of the best quotes of the day talking about the boneyard and basically says whenever he gets down on himself, he looks up to the boneyard and is like, that could easily be me. So then he's, uh, he's glad to, uh, to continue to play football after that. And Taylor Jackson, another business oriented guy as well. And, uh, we also had the conversation 
with uh, Taylor, who's a defensive player, about going up against former EC offensive lineman Trent Holler. We had Joe Sampson on the show yesterday on Tuesday's program, and he made the point that you know Trent Holler has played meaningful snaps at ECU. He also probably knows some ins and outs of these Carolina offense, and so I'm sure there's some scouting report things he's trying to share with Marshall. I'm sure ECU's trying to share some things, but it sounds like Philip at least from Taylor, that Trent, while, of course, both sides are going to want to win the game, it almost is kind of going to be like a friendly robbery in the trenches on on Saturday with him snapping the ball uh, to the Marshall quarterback. But there's going to be some heads banging, I think, up front on Saturday for those guys. There is, but it almost kind of reminds you of a high school football game in a way, you know, where you probably grew up playing rec basketball or whatever with some of these kids and um, – you know, you've you've been friends with them for a long time, and then you got to go in there and battle in the trenches with them. I know both of our closest high schools to me growing up geographically. Uh, I went to elementary school with some of those kids, so I kind I kind of know how they feel. Unfortunate news coming out of the press conference: Kerry King will miss the season with a knee injury suffered in practice last week, and, and highly unfortunate from the standpoint of. Kerry was probably going to start, and, and Coach Houston said he was going to start the season opener, and he he had moved. You know, kind of between some different positions at receiver, he's worked in the slot, he's worked at Z, he's worked at X, and he had had such a good offseason, such a consistent offseason. He's always had the talent. He's kind of waited for this moment and unfortunately just caught a ball, went down in practice last week with a knee injury, will miss the season. This is his fourth year in the program. He could get a medical redshirt, still have three years of eligibility left. He's also had a COVID season, but Anytime you lose a guy to a season-ending injury, it's just uh, it's a heartbreaker. Coach Houston said it was uh, very difficult for him to accept. Obviously, this is part of football, part of sports. It's probably the one of the worst sides of it, these injuries. It's a physical game, but it especially stinks, Philip, when it happens in practice and you know, usually kind of a non-contact or a freak deal. And uh, you know, There's question marks for ECU at receiver. We'll get into that with Bobby here shortly, but there's question marks at receiver right now, and, and Kerry King, the absence of him, only leaves another one. Yeah, it definitely does. And we kind of mentioned it on uh, Monday how we thought the receiver room looked deep on Saturday, but no one really emerged as that guy. And if you look at past reps, um, Kerry King, I think, out of this receiver room, other than maybe Jalen Johnson, probably has the most reps in a pirate uniform. If it's not him, it's Tyler Savage, who we also did not see this past Saturday. So the experienced guys are not the guys on the field, and I think that's got a lot to do with it. I think there's a lot of potential in this receiver room, but at the end of the day, you need that guy who's been there. Um, you know, The guy who led the team in receptions was Jarrett Gardner. He did see significant play in time in his time at Duke. Uh, he's second year in the program, but didn't see a lot of reps at receiver last year. I think he was on the kickoff return team, but uh, he only played in four or five games actually as a wide receiver. All right, there's Philip Pilkington. I'm Stephen Igo. Let, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We're going to try to get Bobby Howard on the show. We were trying to get him at the top of the hour. Had some technical difficulties. So you can, can get those ironed out. We'll get him back on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We'll be right back. We'll continue our Michigan recap and Marshall preview with Bobby. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Armageddon! Back to the show with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the program. It is a Wednesday, September 6th edition of the show. Three days out from ECU's home opener 
against the Marshall Thundering Herd. It's a big game, and it's a critical game, I think, for East Carolina's uh, really bowl hopes, that sort of stuff, in terms of really turning their season uh, the right direction. We'll get into that discussion. We've got Bobby Howard on the phone line. Bobby usually joins us via video, but today we're, we got him over the phone. He is presented by Sup Dogs. Check him out, downtown Greenville. By the way, the Sup Show will debut tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll have multiple student-athletes on the Sup Show. That'll be streamed live online at Sup Dogs. So check that out tomorrow on your ECU Athletics uh, Facebook, Twitter pages, all that sort of stuff. Bobby, uh, we've gotten my take. We've gotten Joe's take. We've gotten Phillip's take on the Michigan game. Let's let's, wrap, let's put a bow on that. We'll, then we'll turn forward to to Marshall. When you look at kind of the the Michigan game, what we expected going in, how it came out, what were your big takeaways? The biggest takeaway to me was how well the defensive front played. I think everything else went about as expected. I knew the offense was going to struggle to move the football, uh, struggle to get points on the on the board. Part of that being the strength of Michigan's defense and how, how talented they are. Uh, the other part, having so many new pieces offensively. But my biggest takeaway was just I was really impressed with the front seven uh, defensively for the Pirates. I thought they did a great job of, of managing the run and taking away the run because, honestly, that was one of Michigan's strong suits last year. So to really go through that game and, and limit them rushing-wise to 122 yards, 3.9 yards average per rush. That was pretty impressive. Let's start with the offense, and we'll start with the quarterback situation, Bobby. And and I think you said you kind of wanted to see just the offense be able to function or, or Mason, you know, go in there and look, look somewhat competent and not completely overwhelmed. And I thought that, you know, early on he, he struggled. And to me, didn't have the zip on the ball that I've seen him throw with in practice. I really seen him throw with towards the end of the game. Now, some of that was due to Michigan's pressure, but there were throws there to be made that he just didn't throw with conviction. Obviously, the interception was one of those. What did you make of Mason Garcia and also Alex Flynn come off the bench from your, your vantage point? To me, that's what's interesting about Mason is watching him. I know those drives were quick, and ECU was off the field pretty quickly, and, and I think it was a – Great move strategically to, to make the switch to Flynn in, in terms of slowing the game down some so we don't get 50 hung on us. But Mason, outside of, you know, he, he underthrew some passes, underthrew some deep balls, missed on those. But it wasn't, to me, it wasn't like he was completely just flustered or overwhelmed. I don't know if just the nerves and kind of some hesitation seeing live bullets, um, you know, outside of a practice setting, if that's what caused some of that. Um, I did think all of his possessions, though, it seemed like those drives were pretty quick. The clock didn't milk. The clock didn't run. Whereas when Alex Flynn came in, you know, they were able to take some of that clock down. I did think Alex looked in control as well. Uh, he surprised me with his legs on a few runs as well. Um, it's going to be interesting. I know uh, the, the saying, and you've, you've already said it before, it, you got two quarterbacks, do you really have any? So that's what will be interesting going into Marshall, how they balance. Uh, I'm expecting Mason to get the first series of the game, but do they you know, rotate every two or three series? Do they let him get in the groove? If Mason comes out hot, do they let him take him the rest of the way? Or what is that going to look like this Saturday? So, Bobby, you were on the staff in 2015 when – Blake Kemp and James Summers under Ref McNeil and Dave Nickel was the offensive coordinator. It was a it was a two quarterback system, 
for basically that entire year because Kurt Benkert, of course, blew out his knee the 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 week of uh, of the game, or if not, you know, maybe a few days before that. It was, you know, basically you also had Philip Nelson who was ruled ineligible, so it was like y'all were y'all were kind of scrambling a bit. This isn't maybe as bad of a situation because I feel like Mason and Alex are probably better quarterbacks than Blake and Summers were. But what do you remember about that year and just kind of how the staff handled it, handled it from week to week? Because it was basically the storyline almost all season long. Yeah, we we kind of knew every week that we were playing, too. It, it, we didn't expect at any point one person to kind of take over and take the realms of quarterback. Because, like you said, after Ben Kurt blew out his knee, we were kind of in a tight predicament with Philip Nelson being ineligible. Um and James, so here's the thing, too, with those two guys. Blake Kemp, they brought in just to have another arm. He was never expected to play at any point, um, play quarterback. He was just kind of be a scout team guy, an extra arm throughout, um, you know, the preseason and stuff and through practice. And, you know, in that emergency scenario, maybe we could rely on him. Now we had that emergency scenario and needed to use him, but that was kind of the expectation bringing Blake in. With James, he was recruited as a wide receiver. And so knowing he had some quarterback experience, we thought, all right, let's move him over, see what he does with the ball in his hand. And that's where there were two different players in the sense that James Summers was elite with the football in his hand. He, you know, was able to make guys miss his, you know, we really just used him to run the football. And then Blake, vice versa, brought him in the past. You know, it helped out in the Virginia Tech game where it was super rainy and, and storming and whatnot. Uh, where we were able to just utilize James running the football. But for the most part, we wanted to try to use Blake as much as possible. Um, and then, you know, knowing we're going to bring James in for a few series to run the ball, we were hoping throughout the year that he would be able to pick up the offense not enough in the route combinations and those sort of things to to be able to utilize more in the passing game. But that never came to fruition. Yeah, and obviously that team was still very competent and very, you know, defensive oriented and running oriented at times but Blake did have some good passing performances and you guys were a few plays away from six seven eight wins um do you do you feel like you know I I think the the coaching staff is obviously going to do their best to keep this from being like a distraction even though the reality is I mean look we're talking about it because the fans want to talk about it it's the most prominent position on the field there's more that goes into winning a game than just quarterback play but it is the the most important part of every team. So we're going to talk about it until this is kind of settled or we have a better idea of it. Like how much of a, a worry is it for the staff that it becomes an issue like in the locker room or is that a non, or is that an overblown factor? I think that's an overblown factor in my experience, even though, um, you know, we had to rely on James and Blake. I don't think it, it ever tore up the locker room. It never raised questions. Um, I mean, people were bun- bummed when Ben Kurt blew out his knee and, they kind of had that next man up mentality. They they trusted the coaches. They trusted uh, their teammates and Blake and Summers. And uh, those two guys, credit to them, they did a good job of leading in the locker room as well and, and developing uh, those relationships uh, even more so when they were called upon as, as leaders and quarterbacks of the offense. So um, I think it's a little overblown, um, especially because those guys are prepped throughout practice. They see, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Sunday nights, you know, they're getting reps with those guys. They know what to expect. Um, so I, I do think it's a little bit overblown. Bobby Harward is with us on the live line. He will be with us every Wednesday throughout the season, former ECU football staff member. 
does a great job now as an analyst for Hoist the Colors. Also a uh, very good father who I believe his daughter started uh, preschool uh, today, like mine did. Uh, my, my, my son struggled with it, Bobby, but uh, hey, he, we'll get through it. Um, when you look at this, the, you know, we talk about kind of takeaways from the first game, and I've you know, I've given my thoughts and you get given some of yours, but like I almost just feel like at this point they need to go play Marshall and App and and then we'll really know what this team has because for the most part that the opener kind of went how we expected it, maybe not as many points scored on either side. But doesn't the real barometer kind of start this week? I think so. I think so. Uh and I, I'd be curious, you know, it, it pose this question to some friends is Michigan the best team that East Carolina has ever played um, as a program I mean I think doing some research I couldn't find a higher ranked opponent I know they've played some some good teams as an independent but you know Michigan may be the best team that we've played as a program in our program's history Um, so it's hard to make that the measuring point Um, so I think you know let's play Marshall this week and really looking at the schedule, I think after Marshall, App, Gardner, Webb, and Rice, those next four games here, I think we'll have a pretty good idea. Um, Marshall and App should be pretty pretty tight uh, games. I think Gardner, Webb is really good for a FCS opponent. And then you know Rice isn't terrible. I know they got blown out by by Texas, but they got JT Daniels and they got some pieces there recruiting the state of Texas. So I think we'll have a better idea of what we're looking at. Uh, for this Pirate 2023 team as a whole once we get through the month of September. We'll maybe circle back, talk more about the the quarterbacks, kind of what to expect this coming weekend. But, you know, I kind of made the title of this show today, Bobby, why this game is so vital to ECU's season, the Marshall game I'm I'm talking about, just because it feels like, and I I wrote this in the offseason, to me, this was the key swing game on, on ECU schedule. And I did three swing games, and this was the, the first one because home opener, realistically, you know, we knew they were going to probably lose against Michigan. We knew this game is kind of a toss-up. The App State game is kind of a toss-up as well. You know, I, I think if, if they play today, App would probably be a small favorite. Uh, we'll see what happens with, with them versus UNC this weekend. But if you if you drop this game – all of a sudden, you're 0-2, you're going on the road, the back's against the wall. I mean, the season is not over. Uh, we saw ECU in 21 win at Marshall with an 0-2 record and turn the season around. But if you want to put yourself in line for you know, maybe less pressure going into that app game or set up a huge game at app either way, I think this is a, a not a must win, but uh, you surely would like to have it. Right, Bobby? Absolutely. Um, if you start at 0-2, you got to think, you got ten games remaining. You got to go six and four the rest of the way to even make a bowl game. So that makes that that pressure of making a bowl game that much stronger. Uh, Mar- Marshall, I know these guys on this roster really haven't experienced that rivalry, you know. Uh, but but Marshall is a rival for ECU, and I think to have some bragging rights over that um, as well uh, is is going to be nice to have for the fan base and just give you some confidence going on the road the following week to App State. So. Uh, this is going to be really a big game uh, for for the Pirates to get some confidence back, um, and I'm really intrigued to see how they respond. This is where, to me, having Mike Houston as, as a head coach uh, is so beneficial because I think he does such a great job. Uh, uh, you know, that locker room is strong right now, and I'm interested to see how they respond and I- I'm expecting them to respond in a strong way on Saturday. 
East Carolina Marshall, I think one of the the best games non-conference wise that ECU can schedule. And I know just from talking with some sources today, they're they're expecting a crowd in the mid to upper thirty thousands, depending on walk up, especially with the students, especially with the weather. You know, when you sell less than fifteen thousand season tickets, it's hard to get to that forty k mark. And maybe if the weather turns out to be brilliant and a bunch of students show up, they can close in on that. But I think either way, the fans that are there are going to be uh, into the game. And you look at this series, it's it's been an awesome series. I mean, obviously, the games – I mean, the two teams are linked for, for a very bad tragedy, as we know, the 1970 plane crash. Uh, but you look at the most recent games, the, the games on the field have been phenomenal. I mean, last time in 21, we all know what happened there. You guys were on the staff and in, in from, you know, from 2010 through 2013. Y'all were able to beat them twice in Greenville, ECU 7-0, all-time against Marshall and Greenville. The the game that I don't think gets talked about enough is that 2012 game, 65-59 in double overtime. And I remember Andrew Bodenheimer catching a touchdown in the corner of the end zone and rolling over my laptop bag. Uh, that was that was an interesting experience. What do you remember kind of about this rivalry when you were a, a coach with this team? It was fun. It was fun. It was always going to be a tightly contested matchup. Um, you mentioned that game here in double overtime. I remember that Bodenheimer catch really well i remember um you know getting into overtime as well uh it's just the one horror memory i have from that that series is going up to marshall uh with the chance to go to the conference championship game and kind of laying an egg there uh some things they exposed of us defensively running the butt of the tackle and washing our four technique down uh caused us to do a lot of self-reflection in the offseason, which ended up being a good thing. But that, that's uh, even going up to Marshall and, you know, hearing the fan base yell at you as you're running up to the press box, some of those things that make college football fun because uh, it's important to the fans. It's a rivalry that's important to both sides. Um, I'm, I'm hoping we can get a crowd of over 40,000. I'm a little bummed I'm not going to be able to make it personally, especially I finally have found some pirate brew in the, in the grocery stores, so I was excited to enjoy that tailgating. But I have some good buddies in a, at a tailgate. They call themselves the Old Gold, and uh, they got a pretty legit tailgate that I know they're going to hold it down for me uh, while I'm going to miss the game on Saturday. Yeah, I still remember Sebastian Telefero and some of those guys, Rakeem Cato, just carving carving that ECU defense up in 2013. I, I drove up to Huntington on Thanksgiving and uh, could not find a single place to eat, obviously, uh, since everything was closed through the holiday. But uh, that was not a fun trip. So um, let's uh, at least the last time I was there in 21, it went much better, Bobby. But uh, I don't know. I mean, have you done any Marshall research just to get a feel for this team? Like a very good defensive team last year. They do have a new coordinator. Offensively, they seem to be built around the run. We all know Rasheen Ali just absolutely torched CCU in 21. So do you kind of have a feel for how this game might go Saturday? Yeah, I'm honestly shocked that I, I don't know if we're still the underdog, but the, that the line started in Marshall's favor. That was kind of surprising to me. Um Looking at seeing what they did against Albany and, and knowing how their offense struggled last year, it seems like it's continuing to struggle this year. I mean, they didn't get their first points on the board against an FCS opponent and, and an average FCS opponent at that in Albany until the second half. So obviously they still have some offensive deficiencies um, and some issues there. I know their quarterback is returning, but he's still young. Uh, and, and, yeah, they just seem to be struggling. I, I'm expecting – 
you know, ECU to bounce back, like I said, in a strong way. I think the defense is really going to, you know, hold Marshall. I'm expecting to hold Marshall under 10 points, honestly. Uh, I'm just very unimpressed with the Marshall offense the last year and a half. Now, defensively is a different story. I expect it to be a low-scoring ball game. Um, and I know, uh, who is it, Powers they have on the defensive line is pretty solid. Um, but, but outside of that, uh, you know, I don't know what much else they have defensively. I know they've played well as a unit. I also know that they, just like ECU, are bringing in a lot of transfers and trying to get that to gel and mesh together as well. Yeah, a ton of transfers. Uh, they do got some good edge rushers, which we'll see if ECU can run the ball better this week. We'll, we'll kind of have some keys to victory in a little bit. Before we take a break, Bobby, I want to ask you, you know, Trent Holler started for ECU or played a lot for ECU's offensive line in 21, also played some in 2020. He's now a starting center for Marshall. And I think, you know, Joe is planning to ask uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick this on Wednesday uh, following practice. You know, what's the concern level with, with Trent Holler? Maybe it's not as big of a concern since uh, there's a new offensive line coach now, but maybe him knowing some of the ins and outs of, of ECU's offense and maybe sharing that with Marshall. Um, I'll say this. It's funny you bring that question up, uh, being that it's against Marshall, because I always go when this question is brought up or I'm talking to people about this uh, idea of playing someone that kind of knows what your uh, calls are. When we played Marshall up in, I believe it was 2012, where we got smashed up there, we knew when they were running and passing. <laughs> we we had uh, some tendencies, and we had Zeke Bigger at middle linebacker signaling to the defense. He would touch his hips if it was a run. He would touch his helmet if it was a pass. So we knew what was coming, and they still gashed us offensively. So um, to me, that's a non-factor because you still have to line up and play. Um, you know, like I said, we had an advantage in 2012, and it did not help us. I don't know how much it helps because the other thing is the game is going so fast, and it, it's hard. Not only do you have to wait for the opponent to call the play, you then process that, have your play call. So there's just a lot that goes into it. Um, there may be some tendency things that Trent could help with, but I, I don't think it's much of a factor, to be honest with you. Yeah, Marshall that day had 539 yards of offense. Uh, so <laughs> I guess it really didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't. That was probably what made that game so frustrating because going in, I was so confident. I was like, oh, man. I mean, we felt confident as a staff. Like, man, we, we have a jump on them. And, and even after the first two series, it, everything was playing right. Like, if when we went back and watched the All-22 film and when there's cuts, when you can see Zeke making the touch, he called everything right. It just did not matter scheme-wise. We still had to execute, and we didn't execute that day. He is Bobby Howard. He's brought to you by Subdogs today. Let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about keys to victory, maybe make some predictions as well. We'll also take a look around college football, the week two schedule, what we're looking forward to. Bobby's going to be joining us every Wednesday throughout the season. We'll be right back with more Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. One ninety four three, the game. All right, welcome back into this Wednesday, September sixth edition of Hoist the Colors on ninety four three, the game. 
It is a Bobby Harward Wednesday. He's brought to you by Sup Dogs again. Check us out tomorrow live from Sup Dogs in downtown Greenville. We'll have the Sup Show from 5 to 6 p.m. I know we've got a few baseball, women's basketball players. Also, we're going to have some other sports as well. It'll be a show to highlight the student-athlete experience at East Carolina. It'll be live-streamed on the ECU Athletics uh, social media pages, also through the ECU Sports Network uh, as well. So we'll have that for you Thursday, live from Subdogs, 5 to 6 p.m. All right, Bobby rejoins us over the phone, and we're, we are going to circle back. We just talked about some ECU Marshall and how much we like this rivalry. We're going to circle back with some – some keys to victory, predictions, that sort of stuff here at the end of his segments. Uh, but let's dive into kind of college football as a whole right now, Bobby, because this is an ECU-centric show, but I like talking about the, the whole landscape, and maybe we'll even hit on some NFL as well as your uh, commanders get ready to uh, to take the field, um, along with your uh, – I know you're a big Panther guy as well. So we'll start first with, with college and – some big games this weekend. The week two slate, I think, a lot better than week one. Notre Dame is visiting NC State as a highlight matchup. You've got Nebraska and Colorado as uh, kind of a game where who knows if Colorado can follow up what they did. Uh, App State at UNC. SMU at Oklahoma is an intriguing game. Oregon's at Texas Tech. Of course, Texas and Bama. Any uh, any big action or any uh, – I, I say first, any – Big takeaways from week one outside of ECU uh, that you had? The Blue Devils. those That unfriendly confine yeah. of Wallace Wade Stadium we talked about last week. <laughs> I mean, it, kudos to the, the fans there. They did show out in all seriousness. But, I mean, Clemson, that second half, they did not they did not punt the and they did not score points. Uh, they moved up and down the field and then shot themselves in the foot. So a rough, rough start for Garrett Riley in his debut. Um Keeping it kind of in state, NC State did not look as good as I as I was expecting. I know they were playing at UConn, which is not always an exciting place to play, uh, just from a morale standpoint. Uh, but they they were not as impressive. And Deion Sanders in Colorado that kind of shocked me. Uh, but it, it was an exciting game. It was probably, in my opinion, the funnest game of the weekend. Are you? Uh... Not to turn this into the Dion hour because it's being talked about enough nationally, uh, but do you feel like they lay an egg this week against Nebraska, or do they keep this train rolling? I think they keep the train rolling at least another week. Again, Nebraska is is coached by Matt Rule, who I despise. So uh, I maybe it's more internally just hoping that Nebraska gets blown out. But um, I, they weren't impressive against Minnesota. I mean. Honestly, Big Ten football is probably some of the most boring college football that you can watch, in my opinion. Um, but that Nebraska-Minnesota game I watched last Thursday night night was not exciting. Um, I think uh, Colorado brings a lot more to the table offensively than what Minnesota brings. So I'm I'm expecting probably a two-three three-score game uh, in, in advantage of Colorado. So Colorado wins by twenty plus. Look around uh, the, the college football landscape as well. A game I didn't mention, Ole Miss is visiting Tulane. Yulman Stadium, if it can be, it will be rocking at 3.30 on ESPN2. And they took care of business against a very quality South Alabama team. And, and you know, if, again, one week of action, but UTSA losing to Houston. And Tulane, you know, kind of looking like maybe the, the favorite in the league early on. I know this is a game I'll be looking forward to. 
any any gut feeling for Tulane Ole Miss? I mean, I feel like we're going to see a lot of points scored in that one. Yeah, that is exactly what I was going to say. I'm curious to see how Tulane's defense holds up against Ole Miss. I think it'll be a fun atmosphere. I'm excited for Tulane to be able to host an opponent, top 20 opponent like Ole Miss. Um, I think it's great for the recognition nationally of Tulane. I think they're getting a little bit more respect now uh, as they've been more consistent. And Willie Fritz is just a heck of a ball coach. I was selfishly in ECU's as an ECU fan really hoping that he would take the Georgia Tech job uh, just to, to give us a clearer path to a, to a championship at some point in the American. But uh, it, it's great to have him in the conference. He's such a quality coach um, and excited to see how they hold up uh, from an offensive line standpoint as well because those guys, SEC defensive linemen, are obviously pretty big. So want to see how they hold up up front as well. I think that will kind of will tell us how, mu- how uh, much Tulane can take away or, or, or take over this American conference if, if, and run away with it if, if they hold their own against Ole Miss, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a big measuring stick game for them. And we, we touched on App State uh, struggling with Gardner-Webb in week one. Now they turn around. Their quarterback's going to miss a few weeks. The guy who came in, Aguilar, threw for four touchdowns. Now they're going to UNC, which I thought UNC's defensive line just absolutely got after South Carolina this past weekend. That was one of the most surprising things to me. I thought South Carolina would be able to move the football. And so now you got this scenario, hey, App State usually plays well in these games. UNC coming off a big win. You think there's any chance the Mountaineers upset North Carolina? By the way, a 5-15 kickoff time on the ACC network. What an awkward time. But uh, that should be a good one as well. Well, at least they're not on the CW. I know the ACC is going back to the CW, so they're, at least they're not there. But uh, it, it, to answer your question, if I think App has the chance to pull an upset, um, you know, before last week and watching UNC play last week, or excuse me, before seeing them play last week, I would have thought App State had a chance. After watching UNC's defense and how they played against South Carolina, I don't think it will be very close. Um, it may be close early in the first quarter and a half, but then I think you'll see UNC pull away i mean think about it north carolina had 17 sacks the whole season last year 14 games and then they had nine sacks on saturday in one game so they 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 had like 60 percent of their tack sack total from a year before in one game that's wild so, so it'll be a, a very good slate on uh on saturday we'll have uh Joe Sampson in studio friday we'll make our game picks we'll also make some nfl picks as well as the league gets back Underway this weekend, and Bobby, I know you you spent time uh, the last few years rooting for the Panthers, the Commanders as well with your team growing up. I know that the ownership uh, situation kind of turned you off for a bit, but now that uh, Snyder's out, are you are you back on the Washington bandwagon? Or are you still rolling with the Panthers? I'm still rolling with the Panthers from now. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I would say this: if they if they had stayed as the old name. Uh, I would probably 100% be back on ship. But even watching them now, it doesn't. It's not the same. Um, I am more, more intrigued. I will say, uh, seeing this ownership change. Even talking to my dad uh, last weekend or the weekend before, just the the sigh of relief because you do not have to wait for Dan Snyder to do something stupid again is really nice. Um, so. I'm intrigued. I know they're sold out week one. I don't know the last time they've had a sellout. Uh, so and actually be their fans. So that is exciting as well. Thankfully, they're matched up against 
the Cardinals who are going to be competing for the number one pick. So that should work in their favor. If the, uh, if the, if the commanders cannot beat the Cardinals, uh, that's going to make for a long season. The Panthers opening at the Falcons and you don't want to make too much of a week one game, but I feel like the, the you know, the, the division, the NFC South is just so underwhelming on paper and the Panthers have a shot to win it. You know, the Falcons maybe have a, a chance as well, along with the Saints. And, you know, who knows what the, the Buccaneers will do, uh, you know, after losing Tom Brady. But it feels like this division's wide open and every every game is going to be critical. So what are the expectations for Panther fans? Of course, we got a lot of Panther fans listening as well uh, going into that opener. I think, number one, does Bryce Young look like he belongs? Uh Number two, does the offensive line improve and show out better than what they did in the preseason because they look pretty poor in the preseason? The other thing I'm interested to see is does Brian Burns' contract get done between now and Sunday? Uh, you got to remember they, the Panthers and GM Scott Fitterer, they turned down two first-round picks last year to the Rams for Brian Burns. They turned down the opportunity to add him in that trade with the Bears for the first pick and instead added D.J. Moore. So now Brian Burns and his agent know their value, um, and it seems like he's holding in, whereas he's in the meetings and stuff like that, just not practicing right now. Who knows if he'll play Sunday, but does that contract get done? Um, to your point about how below average the NFC South is, um, I picked in all of my fantasy leagues the Panthers' defense because I'm expecting them to still be strong like last year, and then you got to think they're playing – the Falcons and the Buccaneers offense twice a, uh, twice in a season. So that's four games right there against below average offenses. And then you got the Saints for two games. Who who really knows what their offense is going to look like? Derek Carr. Um, so really, you got six games against below average offenses, and and so that's why I picked up the Panthers defense for my fantasy leagues. Well, Bobby, we're playing the AFC South, too, and they are, have horrendous offenses. I mean, the, I think the Texans, the Colts, and the Titans all have bad offenses, so there's nine games, so I think that's smart on your end. Yeah, that's true, and, and rookie quarterbacks, too. Uh, you, you talk about um, Stroud with the Texans and then Richardson with the Colts, so that's two rookie quarterbacks. Um you know, Tannehill doesn't scare me in Tennessee at all. Really, the only threat would be Jacksonville. So that's another good point is the the AFC South matching up with them. I may need to drive to Vegas and lay some money on the Panthers' win total with the way you guys are talking. Or just uh, drive so, to Virginia uh, <laughs> and get out your phone and, like, put it on one of those apps. I mean, Virginia's not that far yeah. away. That's true. That's true. We'll, we'll see what happens this weekend. Hey, some, some pretty good hype around the Panthers this preseason, so we'll see if they follow up. Uh, see how they do. Um, all right, let's circle back to ECU, Bobby, before we get you out of here. Keys to victory, of course, I feel like it starts with the quarterback situation. you got to get some good play there. Uh, what are you looking forward at that position and then any other big keys as far as, you know, the Pirates getting their first win this Saturday? I, I'm looking – I'll try to stay away from quarterback to start out. I'm looking first at the run game. I want to see how we do offensively running the football. I found it interesting, you know, watching the Michigan game, I was kind of multitasking, getting our nursery ready. We're expecting baby number three here in October. So I had the game on on the TV in the nursery, painting, kind of going back and forth. And to hear, I think you had reported this, um, that a lot of our first down plays, it looked like they were straight runs. Um, but they were actually RPOs. So I want to see how the run game looks. I want to see how 
we establish the, the, the offensive line and setting the line of scrimmage, if we can get some push up front, um, and then taking it to the quarterback is between Alex Flynn and Mason Garcia, or as Chris Sims likes to say, Max Garcia, does one of them uh, take over the game? Does one of them kind of get a little jump in the quarterback competition and start to take away uh, or run away with the position? Defensively, I want to see us continue to stop the run. I want to limit them. I know 10 is very ambitious, especially in this day and age of college football. So to me, it will be a win if we can hold Marshall under 17 points. Marshall and ECU this Saturday at 4 o'clock. The over-under in Vegas, I think, is set around 42, uh, maybe 43. So they're expecting a low-scoring game as well uh, in the high teens to 20. So we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Bobby, we appreciate the time on this Wednesday. I know we're going to get you in studio here in a couple of weeks, so looking forward to that uh, in-studio debut. But uh, it's been fun catching up every Wednesday, man, and we'll do it again next week. Great. Sounds good. Thank you all for having me. He's Bobby Harward. He's brought to you by Sup Dogs this week. Check him out downtown Greenville. Again, we'll have the Sup Show 5 to 6 p.m. on Thursday featuring ECU student-athletes. That will be broadcast and streamed live on the ECU Athletics social media pages. All right. We're going to get our final break in. We'll come back. We may play some audio from yesterday's player interviews, and we'll also wrap things up with Philip Pilkington back in the studio as well. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, got a few minutes left on today's show. Wanted to quickly hit some player audio before we run out of time. We caught up with Dustin Hall, USF offensive line transfer, new ECU starting center. Here's how that sounded on Tuesday. Uh, Dustin, first first game as a Pirate man is in the book, so uh, you'd obviously played a lot before, but what was it like kind of experiencing that in the big house? Uh, I mean, it was electrifying, honestly. I mean, these guys have – opened me with welcome arms ever since I've been here. So um, just getting a chance to play with those guys for the first time is pretty exciting. How do you feel like it went? I mean, now you coming in with several new starters here around you. and Tough, you know, tough place for that yeah. to start, but how do you feel like it went up front? Um, I mean, I think it went good. That was our first true time playing as five. I, I mean, um, that was a first start for two players, our left guard and our right guard. So, um I thought we did pretty well considering the fact that we've never played together. Right. So, how much do you feel like y'all can grow, kind of from the film and just you know learning from the mistakes that sort of stuff this oh, week? Oh, there's plenty to get better at. I mean, we left a lot of stuff out there, um, but it takes all eleven. So, uh, the five up front, I think, will grow tremendously this week. Dustin, pretty impressive. No sacks. I probably think that will not happen again against Michigan this year, so that's something to be proud of and something to build on. Yes, sir. Yep. I mean, like I said, having two guys with their first uh, career starts in college, I mean, that's very impressive. Coach Houston talked kind of about your leadership up front and kind of walk us through that because you have played a lot before, but coming into like a new locker room and kind of taking that leadership role. Um, Like when I first got here, I just kind of kept my head down and worked. I mean, uh, you kind of, in, in a program like this, you have to, like, earn your respect. So um, when I finally earned that spot and uh, became more vocal, I, I felt like being that we have some young guys, I mean, 
I've kind of been there, done it, so uh, kind of just bring those guys along with me. You've been in Daddy Ficklin Stadium before as a South Florida Bull. How excited are you to be in Daddy Daddy Ficklin this Saturday as an East Carolina Pirate? Uh, Very excited. Um, I remember it was a Thursday night game, super, I mean, conditions were terrible. It was raining, and somehow this place was still electrifying. So I'm excited to see what good conditions and uh, Saturday football game bring. Do you feel like you guys as a unit can grow after games, maybe more so than just kind of seeing the same things in practice? Like, do you come away after that game thinking, like, oh, this will help us a bunch? Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, you get great looks in practice. I mean, our scout team does the best that they can. But in all reality, when the things in game time are flying around ten times faster, I mean, people grow tremendously week by week. The familiarity with Coach Mogridge, I mean, I know we talked before that kind of played a role in getting right. here, but how much has that helped the, the transition? Um, it helped a lot. I mean, a lot of the verbiage is the same. I mean, plays are going to be different, but at the same time, they're all similar. Um, he's done a great job, even with these young guys, I mean, helping us all transition together to play as five, so it's been good. And then re. re- acclimating the center have you enjoyed that because I know you played at some USF but that you know I know you played guard a lot too right um honestly I, I love being in the middle I like the control of it I like to you, you kind of have a pace of the game I mean nothing can happen until you snap it so I kind of right. like the ability to slow it down get everybody on the same page and let's go and obviously working too with two quarterbacks right now you know it could be a two quarterback system <laughs> Are you trying to coach those guys up to or help them as much as possible? Yeah, I mean, all of us got to be on the same page because if we're not on the same page, one person doesn't do his job, it's not going to work. And both Alex and Mason are both great quarterbacks. And every day out here is you compete. I mean, each day you earn your spot to play on Saturday. And I think Coach Kirkpatrick, he's going to put us in the right position to win. Does a lot of what they're learning, maybe about defenses and what to call, kind of go hand in hand with what you're looking at too? Oh, for sure. I mean, being a center, you look your eyes deep at safeties before the play even starts. I mean, your your checklist is the same as quarterback. Have you watched much Marshall yet? And if so, kind of what do you see from there at their defensive front? Yeah, we watch quite a bit of them. Um, they're a hard playing group. I feel like uh, their D line's really good. They're strong. They're fast, and their linebackers are really strong as well. All right, there is Dustin Hall, South Florida transfer again. Coach Houston talked about it yesterday. He has quickly become a leader up front for the Pirates. We'll have more player audio for you later this week as well. Tomorrow on the show, we've got Brian Medor. He will join us in studio. He is the director of video production. At East Carolina, obviously does a great job with the coaches show. You see it every Sunday on WNCT. We'll talk about that, kind of some of the features he's got in store. And and Brian is just an awesome radio guest. We're going to hit a number of topics with Brian, who has a sports background, a sports reporting background as well. All right, this has been Hoist the Colors. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 12 noon on 94.3 The Game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.